So I left us thinking about more precisely what the end of marriage and the end of sex is. And this is relevant because what we're talking about in natural law, if you oppose the end of an action, you are opposing the nature of the action, which means you don't get fulfillment, which means you are opposing the will of the creator. Um, and therefore, morally, that's a problem. So not actualizing an end isn't the same thing as opposing an end. Um, so if you are um, not, um, you're married and you're never having relations with your wife and never having children, well, you might, um, there would be a general thing about marriage that marriage is about having children. And actually that's something you should be doing, generally speaking, in a marriage. Um, now you might not be actually directly in a single act thwarting in a procreation, uh, in a contraceptive act, but by never having relations with your spouse and not being therefore open to what comes with that, um, in another sense you're not engaging in what the reality is about. You're not going to... The nature of marriage is that it's ordered to something beyond itself. That is what is, it exists for. Which is why a natural family plan, if practiced continually, is against the nature of marriage. Um, actually, I haven't written that down, so that's an important point to, to be clear about. Um, so the intention of natural family planning can be as contraceptive as a condom or the pill. Um, so the, the key thing I'm trying to focus on here is about the end not justifying the means. Um, but you can, because a marriage should be seeking children, generally speaking, if you plan to use the mechanism of NFP to never have children, then actually you are opposing children on the big scale in your marriage, even though each particular act isn't contraceptive. So the church says to use NFP as a mechanism, there needs to be serious grounds. Um, we do have the quote on that later. Um, so intention um, is relevant as well. Okay, let's look on page two. Um, I've got a lot of text here. Um, and as you might be picking up a fair bit of this, I'm wanting to be precise in what I say, so I'm actually going to pretty much read through this text on page two. So first, the duty to procreate and responsible parenthood. In the sacrament of marriage, the couple receive a mission that orders them to the offspring and raising of new children in the family of God. In general, the procreation of new life is a good thing, and by getting married, a married couple commit themselves to be fruitful and multiply, and they should only seek to avoid pregnancy for a good reason. Nevertheless, Humana Vitae, paragraph 16 says, if there are well-grounded reasons for spacing births, 
arising from the physical or psychological condition of husband or wife, or from external circumstances, the Church teaches that married people may then take advantage of the natural cycles imminent in the reproductive system and engage in marital intercourse only during those times when they are infertile, thus controlling birth in a way that does not in the least offend the moral principles which we have just explained. Three conditions, physical conditions, psychological conditions, or external circumstances. So on many levels, that's pretty open-ended, um, but they do need to be well-grounded reasons. Um, so just the thought of dirty nappies repulses me, therefore. Um, but there would be many cases where there would be financial grounds to, to be. Spacing is, I think, a very important category to have. Now, you might space children for 30 years because the situation continues, but it's a different mentality to never more. Um, Can I ask if, a, in a pastoral, a pastoral question, would, I said I have to be at an angle because it could mm. arise, but would a couple seek understanding or clarification from their parish priest upon such matters? I've had that happen repeatedly. Um, and I think that's one of those situations where I need to be clear with them. I can't give them a definitive answer. Um, I can steer them away from certain things. So away from selfish motives. Um, so that's an important thing to be detaching themselves from. So to already have five children and for the sake of the five, think a sixth wouldn't be good for the other children is different to that I just can't think of the headache of going through that whole infancy thing again, um, which would be a, a more selfish consideration. If your spouse is um, older than you are or less healthy than you are, and you could endure it, but for your spouse, you know, that they're Lots of things you can discuss with someone, but at the end of the day, there isn't a definitive verdict as a no, parish I mean, priest. I was thinking more, in, as you say, as a matter of discussion, uh, for seeking advice rather than actually seeking for a, a determination or a, a decision. So uh, just to help in that process. So I suppose the short answer is, yeah. I think that is part of your role as a parish priest. You won't have many couples ask you, um, but I think we need to be wary of letting people think that they don't need to think about it anymore because they asked the parish priest. Because actually, it's not there. There's a valid role for conscience, yeah. and it needs conscience needs to be educated. But actually, it is the education of the conscience that I'm talking about, really. I suppose. Yeah, but that I think we also need to help them to see that actually they are going to have to make a judgment. And the, back to the thing about spacing, um, when I have said this, that I think it's the kind of thing I would encourage not to have a, now we've made this decision and that is forevermore, um, to kind of return to that decision making, even if it's pretty certain it's going to come to the same conclusion. It's, it's a different mindset.
All right, next category, what is natural family planning? In natural family planning, a couple seek to postpone or avoid pregnancy, but to achieve this by using a method that respects the nature of the marriage act. Whereas contraception changes the marital act by an action that directly renders it infertile. In natural family planning, a couple do not directly change the act itself. In NFP, a couple abstain from sex when the wife is fertile and enjoy the marital embrace when she is not. This involves the couple charting the medical signs that indicate a wife's fertility. Um, charting is common, so strictly speaking, it's not inherent in NFP itself. But a written record over an ongoing month is what most modern methods use. So what's the moral difference between natural family planning and contraception? Well, the difference does not lie in intention. In both cases, the intention is the same, to not procreate as a result of this particular act of sexual intercourse. So contraception isn't wrong because of intention per se, and NFP isn't right because of intention, because they are intending the same thing. The difference also doesn't lie in the end, using the term at a popular level. In both cases, there's the same end, no child at this moment. The difference lies in the means to the end, how you're going to get there. In contraception, the couple engage in an act that they have altered, altered in a way that violates the inherent meaning of the sexual act, which is both unitive and procreative. They have rendered the act infertile by an act either before, during, or after the intercourse. So contraception might be before, or during, or after. Um, in NFP, the couple either abstain from sexual intercourse or they engage in an unaltered act of sexual intercourse. In both cases, the acts they do engage in have not been altered in any way. This is the key point, this next line. Abstaining when fertile does not thwart the nature of the act used when infertile. It remains an ordinary act of intercourse. The nature of the act has not changed. Its finality is not tampered with. So, um, if you had a very active couple and you imagined a marriage where they were having the marital, engaging in the marital act every night of the month, then they would engage in every night on fertile days and infertile days. If you remove from that the days that are fertile, then you're not changing the other days. They are having relations on the days that are infertile, and the acts they are engaging on those days just haven't been tampered with. They know they're not fertile, um, and they are, in a sense, just engaging in what is natural to marriage, the ordinary course of, of marriage. Abstaining when they're fertile doesn't change the act on the days when they're in for.
and it has the benefit of growing in self-mastery because it's not just up to your mood and whatever um, that you do have to submit yourself to the woman's cycle um, it benefits in the communication between a husband and a wife and it changes the way the husband looks at his wife um, that he has to learn to treat her as a bodily spiritual whole and not just as something that's available when, when he wants I just want to ask a question of clarification. Per se masculinatist, not closed. It's a very loose definition. Yeah, yeah or, translation. Or not frustrating the natural mm -hmm. end. I've got good close friends who who've taught me a lot about NFP. So they've said that the intention the intention should not be to not procreate. Because in that case, morally speaking, you are closing the, the natural end. You're not taking an active step through a mechanism or a device, but you are internally closing yourself off in your intention. And actually what I'm saying is, actually that's okay that it, it is okay to intend not to have a child tonight. So I think your friends have... But they would, they, they, the reason they say this is because you know, if, if the NFP fails mm -hmm. and you do end up conceiving, you have taken a, a step, as it were, against that life through intention, which means you are not going to welcome it in the way that is proper. And that's to root too much on the subjective. Um, and I think it's all rooted in this original mistranslation of open. So I think that there's a kind of almost uber Catholic attitude in that that isn't that is actually beyond what the church is actually saying. If you want to follow up my reasoning, I'd follow the footnotes I've quoted Janet Smith, mm. who has quite a long analysis on this very thing. Mm. Um, that it's not intention that is the difference. That it, it, intention is rooting it in the subjective. So that you can intend to not have a child tonight. And that that isn't necessarily morally problematic. Again, would you correct people in the professional if they were over scrupulous in that way? Or do you leave it and would you just say they're contested to um, It would depend on how much opportunity there was. Um, when we talk about confession, I'll say. I frequently invite people to discuss things outside of confession that time doesn't allow. Um, but in practice, the number of people who do that is incredibly small. Um, even when you can, I can sense from their tone of voice and everything, they think, actually, yes, this would be a good idea to discuss this around. But actually, they don't, mm -hmm. for all kinds of reasons. Um, 
so that you do really only have that little time slot to say something useful. And you have to decide whether actually what's being articulated isn't strictly accurate, but it isn't damaging. Or it's, it's inaccurate, it's sinful, um, and I do need to say something. Okay, we'll come back to confession in a couple of sessions. I think maybe there are two intentions. There's the, act, the intention for this particular act, and there's the intention for the relationship as a whole. Yes, yes. And the larger intention may sometimes have to be fallen back upon, as it were, if the NFP fails. Yes, I think that's, that's true. So did you... So, I am married, I have entered into marriage, I therefore intend that within that dynamic we will have children. That is my intention in being married. My intention tonight is that this act, we do not intend to have a child at this time. Um, but if we fail in that intention, then we just drop down into the larger intention of accepting this child. Yes. Yeah. But I don't think that's a matter of contraception. I think no. that's a matter of being uh, against abortion. Yeah. So that actually that's just not... That abortion isn't an option on the radar screen. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that you're always aware that sexual relations may result in a child. Yeah. So that if you have a medical condition where that would result in... Becoming pregnant would result in your death. The only secure way to avoid that is to abstain indefinitely. Mm. Um, yeah. But even then, the good of the marriage might call you to accept the risk of death, but seek to minimise it. Mm. And that would be a situation I think you couldn't generalise too much where that risk taking you know that in some marriages that would some men are much more able to abstain than others um, and that it would affect the dynamic differently to others You've not mentioned anything about um, sterilisation No because sterilization on one level is kind of not contraception, it's a mutilation of the body. Mm -hmm. um, so it's wrong because you are mutilating the body, that the body, there's nothing wrong with a body that is fertile. So to render it infertile for no purpose other than to render it infertile is simply wrong. Um, And I think that just kind of follows pretty obviously mm -hmm. once this is in place. So that's why I'm not talking about sterilization. Um, and that would apply for both male or female. So if we turn to the bottom of the, that page. Um, I'm trying to articulate a little more precisely the question, why is artificial contraception a sin? 
Contraception is a sin because it directly opposes one of the God-given meanings of the sexual act, namely procreation. Both marriage and sex have a meaning that exists before a couple get married and before they engage in the act proper to marriage, namely sex. God has given us this great gift and he intends us to use it in accordance with the purposes he has established in it. Both marriage and sex are ordered to two things, union and procreation. Now there's one more page I definitely want to go through before we conclude, and that's this page three. Um, and this is, again, trying to see the big picture here. Why is any of this important? Why does it matter? Um, as the title of that page says, respecting the purposes built into our nature, that this is what we need to do, um, that I have a nature, human nature, I am bodily, that there is with that various purposes that are just built into me at a bodily level. And so Humanivite says, as I quoted there, there's a need for reverence due to the whole human organism and its natural functions. Now before I go through this page, this isn't the only way of arguing against contraception. So Germaine Griset, who I mentioned earlier, opposes any is-ought structure of argument. He constructs an argument against contraception that makes no reference to any of this. Um, and after Humanivite, he was the most vocal defender of the church's position, the position being artificial contraception is sinful. But actually, he was only giving one particular type of argument. So a number of liberals who will attack the church will attack him and think they've therefore attacked the church, whereas he's just one particular style of argument. Yes, so it's, it's the conclusion that is the church's position. Artificial contraception is a sin. But how you justify that conclusion in argumentation, there's more than one way to argue it. I follow Janet Smith who I think is hard to say in, in this country because we don't have as many books or whatever as the Americans. Um, I think she's followed by more, um, and I think the benefit of her approach is because it's biological, it's more obvious why it affects me rather than a more philosophical position that might seem very precise and logical but doesn't actually talk about anything that relates in me. Um, so let's go through her, her argument. And this is only a summary of her position. So um, Janet Smith compares seeing through an eye that is partially blind, partially blind through no fault of your own. And she compares that with engaging in a marital act that you know to be infertile, but you haven't caused it to be so. So a marital act you know to be infertile, how is that like a, a partially blind eye? Well, the partially blind eye is still partially working. It's achieving part of its purpose. A marriage act that you know to be infertile, well, it's not achieving 
fertility, but it is still achieving the unitive dimension, the remedy for concupiscence, the other things it's achieving that it's about, and you haven't thwarted it to put it into that state. You just know that that is the state. Let's compare that with deliberately blinding yourself so that you've made your eye not see properly, or deliberately making yourself infertile. Both of these second examples thwart the purpose of the bodily organ and thus thwart the good of the person inherent in that purpose and simultaneously thwarts the intention of the creator. So four points arguing that out. First, she says, an organ has a function it is naturally ordered to. This function can be discerned by observing the purpose it in fact accomplishes when healthy and functioning properly. She notes further that evolution backs the notion that bodily parts each have a teleology, a function, because natural selection adapts each specific organ in order to be useful in a particular environment. So each bodily organ has a function. Second, there's no shame in having an organ that fails to function, or fails to function properly, or fails to function fully. Three, there is nothing wrong in using an organ that is not achieving its function or its full function. Four, there is something wrong in deliberately thwarting the natural ordination of an act. Why? Because we must respect the purposes built into our nature. Can I just ask quickly, if a either party in a, in a marriage, before they're married, knows that they're infertile and therefore cannot, under any circumstances, be a parent, are they wrong to get married? No, they're not. So they know that they cannot fulfill that function? Because they've not caused it. Right. Um, but knowingly, nobody haven't got that facility before they start out, which can still they're grasping that part of marriage that they're able to. Um, and they're not closed to more. Now, if they were, you know, it'd be a test of their intention and motive if actually a remedy to the infertility later arrived and actually they'd never wanted it in the first place. Um, but being infertile doesn't invalidate a marriage. Um, Presumably we're not going to talk about IVF at the moment. We will talk about marriage, IVF in the next session. Because um, IVF breaks the end of the sexual act from the other angle. Um, so that you then have a child that has become a product rather than the fruit of a specific act of love, which is what in the plan of the creator. Um, so the knowingly infertile couple who plan to get married, 
cannot then plan to have children through IVF. No, no, so they, they, they can't, sorry. Yeah, they cannot. They cannot, no. Yeah. no. Um, we'll look at IVF mm. next time, but... Because um, the IVF is just contraception in reverse. The, 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 in terms of the shattering of the mm. unitive and procreative. Okay, think about the concept of being artificial. Said there, artificial does not imply unnatural. Natural implies something that is in accord with the nature or purpose or end of a thing. The following artificial aids restore a thing to function. Spectacles enable us to see. Hearing aids enable us to hear. Similarly, artificial aids to assist with the knowledge of your fertility do not cause the fertility or infertility. So that being artificial doesn't mean it's unnatural. And just thinking of IVF, um, one of the criteria used, articulated by Pius XII, um, is any act that assists a marital act to fertility is permitted. Any act that replaces it is not. Um, and you can have quite complicated assisting, but that's not the same as replacing. Then coming back to a point I made it differently this morning, natural does not just mean bodily or animal. The church fully permits sterilization, abortion, contraception, and in vitro fetalization for animals, but doesn't permit them for humans. It's not opposing animal nature that's wrong, nor is it opposing human biological processes per se that is wrong. Rather, it is because the generative biological processes of man mean something greater for man than they do for animals, that the biological processes are evaluated I think we're supposed to finish at three, so I will just point you towards page five, um, which gives you a one-page summary of John Paul II's Theology of the Body. I would strongly recommend you try and find time to um, get one of the little summaries of his approach. Um, it's not really taken off yet in this country, but in America, um, Theology of the Body programs in youth events, in parishes, are everywhere um, and have transformed for the younger generation all kinds of marriages. Um, this is Christopher West. Not only Christopher West, because um, there is, you know, when things get to a certain size and strength, you can have division without collapsing a thing. And it's big enough in America that there are people that are very pro-Christopher West and people that are very anti, but are all part of the same wider movement. Um, Christopher West is a popularization of John Paul II. He's not John Paul II. All right, so 
That's why we're going to have to leave this today, I'm afraid. Um, what we're going to look at next week, uh, which is however many weeks away, uh, is a series of specific issues. Um, so um, we're going to spend quite a while on divorce and remarriage, because that's a big thing in the air. Um, I'll also give you some reading material about a number of other specifics, IVF, abortion, I think something on transgenderism um, and so forth. But that's what we're looking at next time. Mm -hmm. All right, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.